Chasing Fire. We're going to jump right into this, y'all. Uh, for the last several weeks, we've been chasing fire. And by that, we've been doing uh, the opposite of what um, we normally call deja vu, right? Y'all know what deja vu is. Deja vu is when you see something new, or actually is when you experience something familiar that you've never experienced before. Y'all had a deja vu moment before, right? You're talking with someone, or you're in a scene or episode in your life, and it seems familiar, like, but you've never ex actually experienced it before. It's almost like, uh, yeah, like the future's happening now, and I didn't know and never experienced it before. But creatives and artists talk about this. The opposite of deja vu is vuja day. It is literally seeing uh, something new in the familiar. It's something that you've encountered many times before in the past, but when you encounter it this time, you see something fresh, you see something different, you see something new. And so what we've been talking about is practicing Vuja Day in the Holy Spirit. And what we've been doing as far as chasing fire, we have been going through the scriptures and talking about uh, the Holy Spirit and the way that the Holy Spirit works in the world and in our lives. And so we've been engaging the scriptures, digging deep, drinking deeply from the scriptures to see with fresh eyes in a fresh way how the Holy Spirit could be moving in our lives. Amen. And so this morning our text is Luke chapter 11. And uh, before we read the text, how was that Prince tribute, y'all? Was all right? Was all right? Okay. <laughs> That's what's up. You see, I got my purple on the day, right? Um, you know, I think that no matter uh, when we have human beings um, that decide to take the risk and be their best self, I think there's something to honor and celebrate. Um, even in our brokenness, God chooses to express grace. In the Christian tradition, there's this idea for our theologians in the house, there's this idea called common grace. And what that is, is the ways in which God graces people, no matter where they are, even if they follow different philosophies or worldviews or religions or whatever they are, they're still made in the image of God. Amen. And because human beings are made in the image of God, they still can make beautiful things. And it's okay for Christians. Sometimes we have a hard time with that to affirm and celebrate the gifts and life of those who may not name the name that you name in your worship. So that's part of what that is. And plus, I just thought it was cool that, you know, Prince is talking about God. But talking about God in a particular way. What if God was one of us? Some of you missed the Prince tribute this morning. Too bad. <laughs> uh, what if God was one of us? That's a powerful thing. And that's actually one of the values of Mission House is that of incarnation. We, that we are sent into our community, that we are sent into our world the way Christ was. So anyway, let's get to our text this morning. Luke chapter 11. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, 
One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of the friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Amen. I got a son in college. It seems like he's calling me all the time for money. And so I got smart. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a Walmart gift card. How about that? <laughs> but I can't refuse them. If you then, though you are evil or misguided, is another way of saying it, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus. God bless your people today. God, we thank you for the worship. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together once again in the name of your son, Jesus. God, speak your word to your people, oh God. Let your word be like seed planted deeply in our hearts and our souls, God. And may it produce forth abundant fruit for our own lives, for the lives of our families, and for the lives of our community, God. God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This right here, y'all, this is... Uh, the big ask. Amen. This is what we're talking about uh, this morning in our chase after the Holy Spirit. And we land here in another episode where the Spirit of God is mentioned in this time-honored and deeply uh, cherished and remembered because I don't know about y'all, but I'm like one of those people that know the Lord's Prayer, typically Matthew's version of it. Very few people learn Luke's version of it because if you notice, there is a difference from Matthew's version. But here we are landing on what has been traditionally called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer or the Disciples Prayer or Jesus' Prayer. It's all, a whole bunch of different names for it, and that's okay. You can name it whatever you want to call it. But the thing that's interesting, though, is that in this scene, the Bible says in verse 1, one day 
Jesus was praying in a certain place. And so Jesus, like always, he always had his boys with him wherever he was traveling. And so they were used to seeing Jesus praying. Not only praying, but working. Working and praying, praying and working. Doing the mission, doing the work, healing people, delivering people, teaching people, but also praying. And so when they see Jesus praying, you know, they, when he had finished, it says, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, isn't that interesting? It's amazing sometimes um, in dealing in church world, how many people can go to church their whole lives and are not taught how to pray? Right? Well, Pastor, you don't need to be taught how to pray. Well, Jesus didn't tell the disciples that. <laughs> right? It's in red, right? It's in red. So, and Jesus said to them, when you pray, this is how you ought to pray. And so for those of you who are in discipleship relationships, if there are people in your life that God has brought into proximity to you, it's part of your responsibility to teach them how to pray. And I always tell people, start here. It's a simple prayer. Because one of the things I know is, you know, one of the struggles that people have in church or anybody really is learning how to pray. Not only how to pray, but oftentimes how to pray in public before other brothers and sisters. Like, I don't know about y'all. I, I usually put people on the spot. If you know me, I tend to put people on the spot sometimes. Especially when we have Bible lab. Right, sister, you call this out in prayer. They're like, what? <laughs> but for those of people that are in proximity to you, you got to sit down with them before you teach them anything. I remember one time I was having a conversation with a brother who was agnostic. And by agnostic, I mean somebody who says that we can't know whether or not God exists, right? They're not full-blown atheists. They don't say God doesn't exist. They say we don't know if we can know if God exists. And he said, Anthony, help me believe. I said, well, let us pray. Let me teach you how to pray first. What? I don't believe. Well, if you pray, you might end up believing. But the disciples had seen John's disciples being taught by John how to pray. And so Jesus says this. So if you got somebody in your life that God's connected you with, or young people, older people, uh, 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 people that uh, family or friends, sit down with them with this prayer and say, hey, I'm, we're going to teach each other how to pray. And the opening line is, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Father. Now, this is an interesting term because when we say father, it's in the English, um, and I'm just going to forewarn everybody this morning, uh, we're going to kind of trounce in the English a little bit this morning. We're going to do some damage to the English this morning because a lot of the language here in this prayer doesn't really translate well into English. And so, even in the King James or the English translations, it says father. The other day, yesterday, me and my daughter were riding around just doing different things. You know what? And one of the things I noticed yesterday in our conversation, she never says, Father, may I have this chapstick? Because we went to Walmart. She wants some chapstick. 
Father, may I have chapstick? No. She said, hey, Dad, can I get this? Hey, Dad. She calls me Dad. But you may have another name that you use. Papa. Or, you know, I'm not from Salisbury, from Birmingham, Alabama. Until I moved here, I've never heard the word Papa. And Mama. Or Mamma. Until I moved to North Carolina. I don't know if it's something specific uh, to North Carolina or the South, because I was away from the South for a while. But Papa, Daddy, Jesus would call it in the Aramaic, Abba, A-B-B-A. And so Jesus is saying that, hey, I'm going to teach you how to pray, but I want you to come correct, though. I want you to understand that God is not just the Lord of heaven and earth, the great Father, the great king of all the earth, but I want you to start off the first point of contact, the first language I want you to use to engage God is that of Papa, of Abba, that God has a personal, and you think about it, this is an affectionate term. Daddy is not a formal term that we use to describe. I call my dad Pops. and He didn't like that, but I still call him that anyway. It means affection. It means a, a connection. It means a kind of intimacy that breaks through formality. And so Jesus ends up saying, begins by saying that this is how you begin the conversation with God. You say, Abba, Father. And so the next thing that Jesus says is, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And one of the things that, uh, that the English does not really translate well from the Greek or from the Aramaic is this, is that when he says, hallowed be your name, oftentimes we're taught that this is like saying adoration. This is like saying God, you're holy. But actually, hallowed literally means make holy. <laughs> this is going to be good. Just read that again. Father, make holy your name. <laughs> Abba. Papa, God, Lord, make holy your name, your kingdom come. Now, here's the thing, y'all. This is not like a polite petition here. This right here in the English is actually an imperative. This is almost like commanding God to do something. Make holy your name. Make holy your name. And what does this mean? Now, here's the thing, y'all. You know, when he says, make holy your name, or hallowed be your name, God, hallow your name, God, make holy your name. What does this mean? Now, the 
word holy there. Some of you know, and oftentimes in church we talk about this sometimes, we reduce holiness or the word holy to I don't say bad words anymore. I don't go to rated R movies or I don't read Harry Potter books or whatever. We kind of reduce it to that sometimes in the church culture. Um, but holy is something way much bigger than your morality, actually. I'm just going to keep it real with you this morning. It actually means uh, to set apart for a special use. It means to, to, to carve out and to separate, to, to make holy, to distinguish and if I was to put it in the urban dictionary, if I was to create an entry in the urban dictionary, it is to make strange, to make weird in relation to what it has been separated from. Set apart for holy use. Hallowed means to make holy. But then he says, hallowed be your name. He says, hallowed be your name. Make your name or hallowed be your name. That word be there literally means to have reality, to occupy a position to happen or to take place. So it literally means that God make this happen. Make you, make your holiness, your name holy. And before I get ahead of myself. He says, make holy what? Your name. That word name there is about your face. It's about countenance. It's about your honor or your reputation. It's about God's name. It's God's identity and God's character. So that's why it's so powerful when Christians pray in the name of Jesus. Because in the name, when you said in the name of, you're referring to the very character, the very identity, the very presence and personality of the person whose name you were declaring. It was also your reputation. What are you known for? God, make what you're known for a reality in our lives. <laughs> God, make what your reputation is known for. God, what is your reputation? What is God's reputation? What is God known for in the world? What is God has been known for in Scripture? So when you say, God, make your name holy, you're asking God to make plain, to make happen the very thing that God has a reputation for doing in the world. Make your name holy, God. What is God known for? God has a reputation. God has a name to uphold. God, what are you known for? God is known for bringing slaves out of oppression. God is known for making something out of nothing. 
the creation. God is known for turning criminals and villains into kings and priests and prophets. God is known for sitting closely by with widows and strangers and orphans. God is known for performing miraculous signs and wonders. God is known for loving the unlovable. God is known for embracing those that nobody else will embrace. God is known for speaking hope and despair. God is known for being present when we feel the most loneliest in our lives. God has a reputation. So when Jesus said, Abba, make your name holy or make your name great, God, uphold your reputation, God. God, you got a reputation, God. You got a rep that you got to hold up, God. God, make it happen. Make it plain so they all can see who you are. And then he says, And this is a parallel. So it's like in, in, in the Jewish prayers, if you ever studied Jewish prayers, one stance says one thing, and the next line is basically a, re, a, a rewording of the previous stance. And so when he says, make your name holy, when he says to, to make, your, make yourself known for the reality in our lives, for who you are, and he says, your kingdom come, he's saying the same thing. So to make God's name holy is the same thing as saying, your kingdom come. You want to trust? Look it up. Parallelism is what they call it. Make this happen, God. Your kingdom come. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of confusion about that, especially as American Christians. You know, we're pretty clear on where God reigns, right? Where does God reign, y'all? Where? On us? Okay, where else? Anywhere else? Everywhere? Maybe? I don't know. Yes. So American Christians, we're pretty clear about where God reigns, it seems. But what we're not, what we are confused about, though, in the American church is how God reigns. <laughs> and you hear this with terminology like, make America great again. Make America a Christian nation, the kingdom of God, like it was back during slavery and the extermination of Native Americans. Make America the kingdom of God once again. When we all prayed at separate water fountains, when we all prayed, when they had prayer schools, when you had to go to your water fountain, I had to go to my water fountain, back when we was a Christian nation. We're confused about how God reigns. We think God reigns like human kings and human leaders reign. So the kingdom of God, and here's the thing, y'all, when it talks about the kingdom of God, the word, the phrase kingdom of God is not just 
uh, uh, about where God reigns. It's more about how God reigns. It's more in a more correct way that we would really put it in the English. It should be the reigning of God, how God reigns. And so it is the kingdom refers more to how God rules the world than where God rules. Let's go on a thought experiment. Imagine if Jesus went to the G8 summit and sat down with all the heads of state and all the economists and they said, all right, Jesus, we give up. We made a mess of the world. The poor seem to be getting poor. I think there's some figure I read the other day, like there's like 60 people or something like that in the world who have uh, almost half the world's wealth, which is amazing to me. Some ungodly number like that. But if Jesus sat at the G8 summit, if Jesus went to Wall Street, if Jesus went to D.C., if Jesus went to Raleigh, and, and they asked him, it says, well, Jesus, can you set up the budget? Can you arrange our politics? Can you help us set our communities up the way that you would? And so when the, the way to describe that is to say the kingdom of God is coming. How God would rule the world. What would it look like if God, if Jesus literally ruled the world the way that God rules the world, that God wants to rule the world? You say, but pastor, we don't see that. I beg to differ, actually. How would Jesus rule the world? This is why it's incumbent upon Christians to read the Gospels. Because in the Gospels, we learn how Jesus actually lives out his kingship. In the Gospels, we learn how Jesus actually rules, how God rules through Jesus in the world. And so Jesus rules in a way that Human kingdoms and human kings and human leaders do not lead. Not by force. Not by might. But by his spirit. By healing. By touching the lepers. By having a big table for everyone to sit at and eat. Healing people. Restoring people back to community. So to pray thy kingdom come is to also pray that the world that humans have messed up will eventually come to an end. It is the end of the way humans sin against God and to each other. We're praying that this ends. But then Jesus said something here I thought was interesting. He says, your kingdom come, give us bread. See, in the kingdom of God, the way Abba rules, the way uh, uh, the God rules, the way that Jesus as Lord rules in the world, Jesus in the com company of Jesus, there's always bread for everybody. I want you to notice the story here that Jesus begins to tell back in verse 5. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one on the inside answers and he goes on, I don't want to come out and give you bread. 
But I want you to notice something. Sometimes people miss something in that story. The man is being what? The man is being persistent not for bread for himself. (laughs) Did you catch that in the story? Did you catch that in the story? Now, there's some forms of gospel that's taught in the church is real popular for you to keep asking and to seeking and to not till you get what you want for yourself. But in the story, the man is being persistent, shamelessly audacious, as the text says, to get bread for who? Somebody else. So this man gives the big ask, not for himself, but he asks for bread for a stranger, somebody he don't even know. Oh, he said a friend of mine, sorry. Wrong gospel. But a friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And see, in the ancient culture in that world, uh, to give hospitality was like a social requirement. Now, you know, like in today's world, y'all kind of y'all kind of get a feel for this, especially you young folks who are in high school, right? You know about social pressure or peer pressure, right? It was peer pressure back in those days to take care of strangers. If you did not open your house to hospitality, if you did not feed somebody who came knocking on your door what you had, then you would you would dishonor your house and even your whole village. To say that this is not a hospitable place to visit. And so one of the things I want you to notice though is that there's a persistence. There is a shameless audacity for the man to ask for bread. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to be shameless in your asking of God for daily bread. And you thought that this bread was just for you. But see, we live in a world that's ruled by God, this God of the Bible. So this God wants his people to receive bread, not just to hoard it for themselves as individuals, but also to share bread. If anything, we know about Jesus in the gospel. Jesus was really big on sharing bread and fish. And so when he asks, when he says, give us each day our daily bread, We are interpreted to mean just give me what I need. (laughs) No, it should be more like, God, give us what we need in this community, God. Resources have been distributed to those who have power and resources and withheld from those who don't have a voice. God, send us bread, God. Send us resources, God. God, send us grants, God. God, send us ways in which we can cause flourishing in our community, God. We are in need of bread, God. God, make this happen. And I'm sorry, I know you want a piece of the American dream, but this is not that prayer for that. This is not for access into the middle class for you alone. 
This is about God sending bread for those who have none. So that we can become the friend that asks for the bread to give it to the bread to the friend who needs it. To give the bread to the friend who needs it. Then Jesus says, in this way, in this way, how to pray. Now you know how to pray in Salisbury now. (laughs) How many of you would agree that bread is not equally distributed or shared properly in this community? I was talking to a local politician recently, and he was telling me, just to make you guys abreast of something that we can pray about. This is one of the daily bread prayers we can pray about. Um, there's a couple of institutions in our community that have received hundreds of thousands of dollars for gang prevention in Salisbury. Where is it at? We got young men dying in this community. God send us bread, God. And God, I even bold to pray this, and I'm praying now actually. God, those who have the bread, God, unclench their fists to release it. Either by choice by holy persuasion. (laughs) But now you know how to pray this kind of prayer. God, we need bread. And so Jesus said, ask shamelessly. Be audacious with your prayer. Ask. Ask until it actually happens. Knock until the door is open. He says, seek until you find. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of your fathers, if you're asking, he goes on. But then he says in verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I remember when my first encounter with the Holy Spirit, um, I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit just kind of showed up. Um, I'll never forget it. It was January 2nd, 1994, in a small storefront church outside of Seattle, Washington, uh, in the back of a volunteer firehouse, probably like an eighth the size of this room. And I remember sitting there going in, very skeptical of religion. And I remember sitting there doing a service. I remember there was a moment while this guy was preaching, the preacher was preaching became a great mentor to me later on. Something happened. And the only way I can tell people is, it was like, I remember my first response, because y'all understand, y'all was an atheist, right? I didn't believe God exists, right? So I went to this church, like, you know, my my wife at the time, we went in there, and she was all excited about the Lord, and she got, you know, how you first get saved, you're all excited about the Lord, and on fire for Jesus, and so I'm thinking I went to church because, you know, I got a kid here as a baby, and so maybe provide a good moral foundation, although I don't believe any of these fairy tales. 
So I sat in the back of the church, waiting to go by the door, by the exit. And all of a sudden, something happened. And I'll never forget my first response. God? <laughs> really? Like, you're real. Like, <laughs> this is the internal dialogue in my head. God? You're real. So I don't know what your first instance of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes yours might not be like mine, right? Everybody has a different experience of this. And so I came up in a Pentecostal tradition where, you know, we had a kind of, you know, I, I can pick on Pentecostals because I am one, right? So we, have a, we tend to have a very limited version of that, right? Only way we know you got the Holy Ghost is what? Shouting or tongues. And one of my jobs is you know, when I first came in that church, y'all, when the Holy Spirit got me, y'all, the Holy Spirit really got me. <laughs> I carried my Bible literally everywhere I went. I mean, literally, like everywhere. To the movies, to the bathroom, to work. And I was in the military at the time, so I'm going down to the ship, get my Bible in my hand, down to the docks. But one of my first jobs as a young minister in that church was to lead the Terry room. Any of y'all grew up in Pentecostal churches? Raise your hand if you grew up in Pentecostal church. Had that tradition, right? Well, you know, uh, they had the Terry room. Y'all know what the Terry room is, right? That's the room after you get saved, that you come down to the altar after the service end, and then they take you to this back room where you get the second blessing, where you sit there and sometimes for hours pray with people, read the scriptures to them until they get it, until they start speaking in tongues. But, and so a lot of times, in whatever tradition that you're in, sometimes that tradition limits how the Holy Spirit works. And for a long time, I thought that the only evidence or the only sign that the Holy Spirit was present in a person's life is that they were speaking in tongues. Now, I've come a long way. I mean, how can you bottle that up? How can you confine that to a reality that actually made the entire universe? How can you limit that to uh, the Holy Spirit's word to people speaking gibberish? I can say that. Pentecostal, sorry. I can poke fun. And it is gibberish. Paul said it. He said, Hi. people speaking in tongues and Corinthians, he said, and that's all they do. How do people understand what they're saying? And this is an interpretation. But what Jesus is saying for you to ask for, and some of you may be sitting here, some of you already named Christ, and so you would say, well, Pastor Anthony, I've already asked for the Holy Spirit. I already have the Holy Spirit. He has already taken a residence into my life. And so what I will say to you then is that there's another ask for you. There's another ask it to be refilled, to be renewed, to be refreshed by the Holy Spirit, to recultivate your relationship with the Holy Spirit, because here's why. When you ask for the Spirit of God to Holy Spirit, here's the thing, y'all. The word Holy Spirit means what? It is the pneuma, the breath of God that makes things holy. So when the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, ask. Mm. Jesus said, I want you to ask. Shamelessly. With audacity. With boldness. 
Ask me. Ask the Abba. Ask the Father for the very power that he will use to bring bread to the world. That he will use to forgive sins. That he will use to bring the kingdom of God on earth. I'm praying that you would ask. Ask God for the Holy Spirit for the very power to make all these things that are going to happen in the kingdom of God. Ask for that very power, that very presence to happen in your life. Ask for the Holy Spirit anew. John says that there's one, John the Baptist said of Jesus, he said, there's one that's greater than I whose sandals I cannot tie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and Fire. Hebrews chapter 1, I think. <laughs> it says, Our God is a consuming fire. So when you ask for the Holy Spirit, you got to know what you're asking for. You're asking more than for tongues. You're asking more than for prophecy. You're asking more than discernment and all these signs and wonders. You're asking God to put the very power to make you separate, to make you strange, to make you weird. You're asking God to make you weird by the power of the Holy Ghost, to make you different, to make you the kind of person to ask questions like, where is the bread? Where is the justice? Where is the liberation? Where is the freedom? Holy Spirit, come into my life. Revive me, Holy Spirit. Baptize me afresh, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, baptize me with your fire, your transforming fire, God. God, make us holy. Make us separate, God. Make us different. Make us a people that are consumed with your love, God. God, make us a people that are consumed for the least of these in our community, God. God, make us a people, God, who are holy. This is why it is dangerous to reduce holiness to your morality. Because other people are involved. <laughs> and I'll end with this. There's a scene in the book of Exodus. This is why we're making the big ask. And I didn't catch this until I don't know, y'all, about two or three o'clock this morning. <laughs> I'm going to finish here. This is Exodus chapter 3. I'm sorry I didn't get that text earlier. But you're familiar with the story, though, I'm sure. If you went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school, whatever, you went to church for any amount of time. This is when, G this is when Moses encounters God in the burning bush. Y'all know about that story. Y'all seen the cartoon, right? Now Moses was tending, this is Exodus chapter 3, 
<clears throat> now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Hmm, what a paradox. A burning bush that was not being burnt up. And so, so God will send fire into your life but will not consume you. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You want to know why you have to ask or re-ask or be refilled with the Holy Spirit is so that your life can become a consuming fire. This week, I want you to find the time to ask in a very bold manner. I want you to really settle yourself sometime during this week, do a special moment during this week. I want you to ask yourself for a refilling of the Holy Spirit. And here's why. I want you to imagine yourself in that story. A lot of times we imagine ourselves being Moses in that story. Encountering God. But see, the bush ain't God. The bush is something that has been captured by God, that has been filled with consuming fire. Suppose I told you this morning that you all are the bush in this community. Suppose I told you that the church is supposed to be a burning bush in the community that is standing in a holy ground that has been separated by God, used by God, consumed by God, but is not consumed by God. And notice what happens. Until the bush burns, Moses does not pay attention. It's until the bush burns and God begins to speak. Mm. Moses turns his gaze. So this is why you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is why you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask the Spirit this week. God, fill me afresh, God. Set me on fire, God. So those, God, there may be a Moses that needs to look at you. There may be a Joshua that needs to look at you. There may be an Esther that may, that may be look, that needs to look at you. There may be a Miriam that needs to look at you. A Mary that needs to look at you. But they can't look at you. They can't be distracted by you until you are on fire. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God is able to speak clearly. So make the big ask this week, y'all. Make the big ask. Make the big ask. Abba, Father in heaven, 
Make your name holy, God. Send bread to this community. Release us from the power of sin. Forgive us, God, for our sins as we forgive others that have sinned against us, oh God. Lead us not into the time of trial, but deliver us from evil. God, I just pray, as one of the pastors in this community, God, I pray that your people would ask again for the Holy Spirit. That you would teach us personally and as a community what it means to be set apart in this city, in this community, in this county. God, fill us afresh, God. God, some of us, God, we have not felt the fire of God for a while. God, there's some even standing or sitting here, rather, God, that uh, feel lonely in the world. Mm. God, there's people standing here right now that feel like they are alone and been left alone and there's no help for them. God, I want you to remind them, God. Give them bread, God. Give them the bread of remembrance, oh God. To remind them, God, that you are with them every step of the way, God. That you have not left them as orphans in this world, God. But you are powerfully and profoundly present with us, God. And there are those of us who are sitting here today, God, that are afraid of the fire. God, tell them it's too late. (laughs) They've already been touched by it. And so, God, separate us. Make us holy. Make us vessels used for your kingdom, for justice, for love, for mercy, for kindness, for compassion, God. Teach us once again how to love, literally love, the hell out of this city. God, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.